today's episode, we're in for a treat, as it's a double guest episode. We have two guests who come from the same region, but have vastly different school sizes. Ben Walsh leads a school with over 35 classes and 95 staff, while Donna Casey comes from a school of 10 classes and 26 staff. In the Flourish movement, we have often come across school leaders who think the grass is greener on the other side when it comes to school size. Yet the research shows no difference in terms of school leader well-being. Today, we hear from Ben and Donna about their well-being and superpowers. Hello and welcome to the Flourish podcast. Today, we have two very, very special guests. We have Ben Walsh and Donna Casey. They're coming to us today because they come from two very, very different school contexts. When we did the research as part of Flourish, one thing became really clear. There were stresses and challenges faced by principals, whether they were in a small school or a large school. Yet in Flourish sessions, school leaders would often indicate this sense of the grass would always be greener and I would, my well-being would be better if I had additional resources or if, if I was in a different context. And what we're looking to do today is debunk that myth. So welcome to both of you today and thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Bob. A pleasure. Yes, welcome along. Yeah, just to back up what Bob pointed out then, as researchers, one of the things that struck us about the Flourish research was how incredibly consistent the data was like it's almost you could throw a very small napkin over the data and whether people are in big schools small schools high socioeconomic low socioeconomic rural metro the well-being findings and what we discovered was so incredibly consistent but yes as you said before bob often people said well if i was in this situation things would be so much better for me so in having both of you here today, one of the things we wanted to talk to you about is we're always focused on the superpowers that principals bring. And as part of this conversation, what we want to talk about is both of your superpowers and how those superpowers are relevant, irrespective of the context that you are going into in a school. So Donna and Ben, do you want to just give us an introduction to yourselves and how long you've been an educator for, as well as the, the size and the context of your schools? Um, we have 10 classes, 26 staff. Um, I've um, had the privilege of working in a variety of schools, so started out my career in K-12 schools, central schools. Um, I've worked in very large schools um, and currently um, in a P1 school, so um, what is seen as one of our smaller schools, particularly I am the smaller schools in the Met South area. This is my fourth principalship and I've worked in a variety of schools and uh, of differing socioeconomic backgrounds different sizes and compositions, some with support classes, some with opportunity classes. Um, so yeah, my current school has 35 classes, including uh, four support classes, which is amazing, um, inclusive education and embracing all the, all the people in the community so that we can have a real diverse school population and everyone gets a full experience at, at the current school I'm working at. Um, and we've got about 95 staff currently at the school which um, makes every day pretty eventful. Question back to you, Ben, we'll start with you. What do you love most about working in a school that size? When the opportunity came up to, to apply for this school, the thing that got me most was um, I just love the ripple in the pond. For me, it was just about having influence on a community. The previous school I worked in, we, we did a lot of work around dispositions in learning and creating a, lear a really positive learning culture 
and and how to show grit and how to show bravery and, and a whole range of things. And we got so much impact across the community that parents were talking all about it. So I felt really excited about the idea of moving to a bigger school with a larger community and spreading more ripples um, of positivity and just seeing what we could do. I want to make the point that in some of my experiences in schools in regional New South Wales, that it, your school's bigger than some of the communities I worked at. It's a community within itself. So what about you, Donna? What do you love about the school context that you're in? Oh, look, what I really love about it is the daily authentic connections that I get to have with every single staff member and every student. So for me, it's, it's being able to connect with every student every day, knowing every student by name, um, knowing how they're tracking academically, knowing um, about their well-being, what's going on in their families um, and how to support them holistically and in a way that has that direct impact not just on learning but for them in the community and their families as well. Something else that I really love and it's all about connection for me is um, the connection that I then get to have with my staff. So every single day I get to meet with every single staff member including our cleaners, including um, look just everybody, absolutely everybody that works on site. And it's about um, touching base with them about how they are, how, how they are turning up to work, what it is they need, do they have what they need to do their job really well for that day. I think that um, the way in which we go about doing that, particularly in small schools, has a really strong impact on the work that everybody then does. Um, and we call it the glue that exists between us as staff members and how when that glue is nice and strong, the strength of our community stays nice and strong. And we make lots of references to that, a bit like within families and how children see mum and dad. And when mum and dad are nice and strong together, that family runs really well. And so we talk in our school that the way we are as staff and when we're nice and strong when we come into work and we're prepared and ready, um, all those things that make us really great at our job, that it makes the glue between us really strong so that as a community we stand strong for the things that we do. So that's something I really love, yeah, about working in my school. Now, a question I'm sure you're not going to have any problem in articulating and this relates to the grass is greener piece where people often in small schools said, oh, if only I had more resources or more staff or, or people in large schools said, oh, if I had less staff, I'd have less complexity. What is the challenges that each of you face in your school context? So what, what are the big challenges for a big school as well as what are the ones for the small schools? I think it can be seen you have less hands to do the same number of jobs that exist. The roles and responsibilities that exist in a smaller school are the same roles and responsibilities in our, in our larger schools. And, you know, there are less hands to get these roles and responsibilities done. Um, I think that that is a challenge. I know that the way then that I lead within that, knowing that that is the reality, it really is about having those strong staff connections so that where you may have one person responsible for an event or a curriculum area, we need to really create that mindset around everybody is part of that. So you're creating whole school responsibilities around these rather than um, just small teams that could really only be one person. Yeah, it's the work that we do around showcasing that there are plenty of hands to do the work, even though you know that there's not as many hands as you would, would like to have. Yeah, and, and for me, um, Donna talked earlier about connecting with people. One of the biggest challenges that I have in the school I'm in at the moment is, is connecting, me personally connecting with every member of the community. It's near impossible of a school that size. 
so it's it's about ensuring that we have systems in place so that every member of the community, every student gets a check in every day, that every student is known, valued and cared for. It's really important. Um, and that's, I guess, leads me to, you asked earlier what was exciting or why did I want to come to this school? And the other thing about it is systems leadership. I like the challenge of having a big school with a lot of people and seeing how we can implement and scale initiatives across the school with consistency and impact. So while that's something that I really am excited about, that's also one of my biggest challenges as well. There are primary schools in New South Wales that are about 2,000 students now. There's there's some really huge ones. So our school's got about nearly 800 students, which it's still big, but it's there could be bigger. It's like steering the Titanic. You've got to ensure that every team has that reciprocal understanding of the original message, whether it's um, teaching reading, for example, at the moment we're looking at systematic and explicit teaching of phonics. We've got the educational partner who's got the research and the fidelity. They build a professional learning community in the school who trial that work, iron out the kinks, fail, succeed. And then once they have it working in a sample across the school and we're ready to go to scale, then it's about those people leading the learning across the school and scaling it up. So we've got these systems in place with an educational partner at the top, SIP in the middle, and a professional learning community underneath. So for me, it's about setting those systems up. And in a big school, or any school really for that matter, you can have staff come and go. So it's also about succession planning and sustainability. So with our professional learning communities, they are the lead learners in the school. Their knowledge is built from the educational partner. If for whatever reason, that team becomes so good at what they do that they get a promotion and and spread their wings and go somewhere else. Well, we just build that team up again and we lean more heavily on the educational partner and we start it all over again. So that idea of systems leadership for me is really exciting, but it's a challenge. I suppose what I'm hearing there is the succession plan is really critical as well and knowing that there's just not one person uh, at the helm. If you use a Titanic (laughs) example, it's not just one person at the helm that understands how the ship's where the ship's going and how to steer it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's super important because, um, you know, at any time someone might be asked to work somewhere else or that something might come up in their family. So it's just about not putting all your eggs in one basket and having that collective expertise so that we've got that flexibility if we need it. And there's always going to be someone there to have the knowledge and skill to keep implementation strong and, and with fidelity. And if not, we've got the educational partner to back us up. Both of you have said you've worked in a myriad of different size schools. Was there something when you went into a type of school, like whether it's a small school or a large school, was there a, did you have a preconceived idea or, or kind of bias about it that you learnt very quickly wasn't the case? Adam, I um, came from a deputy position role. I'd come from, you know, these larger schools. And my idea was that if I had to go to what I wanted, I actually chose, my intention was to to go and lead in a smaller school so that I could actually learn all of those intricate ins and outs of a smaller school. So my idea was, okay, there are less hands in a smaller school, therefore as the leader I'm going to probably have to get my hands a bit more dirty than I was in my bigger schools. That was kind of my idea, okay. When I came into this school... I wasn't wrong. I was part of 
each intricate aspect of that learning community. What it's done eight years later um, is it's actually built my leadership around each of those aspects as opposed to just focusing on a portfolio or an aspect of leadership um, because I needed to become really, really good at being able to lead all aspects of the school. My idea of what I, I wanted to do was... It wasn't uh, debunked or anything in any way. It was it actually gave me those skills that I that I needed. So Donna, what are you what are you saying there in terms of your thought was that when I go into a smaller school, I'm going to have to learn and understand and be across every single job in that school. Like is is that what you're saying? And is that created you into a more well rounded leader? That's absolutely. And and again, everybody's journey is individual. Um, for them. But for me, I felt like I wanted to have this deep knowledge in all aspects of the school. Um, And it was about, for me, it was about credibility. It was about the fact that, you know, I could go in and lead a learning and support team and all aspects that, that go in a learning support team, that I could go and lead that support unit, review meetings. So what I guess I'm saying there is that the opportunities are fantastic in, in a larger school and I got great depth of knowledge in particular areas in a larger school. But whilst I've come to lead in a smaller school, I've developed a deeper knowledge in every aspect of the school. Right, so you've just become a lot broader in your capability and your leadership. Yep. And, and you hear us as educators talking a lot about deep and narrow. Yeah. Narrow and deep, whichever way you'd like to, to word that. And I think that this opportunity has given me that. To back up what Donna's saying, but from the opposite angle in a larger school, I at previous schools had led learning support teams and other things and had rolled up my sleeves and run athletics, carnivals, learning support teams, whatever else. What I didn't realise in a large school was because of the sheer number of people and the sheer number of activities and initiatives that are taking place that I'd have to actually let go of a lot of those things and extend trust to people to actually take them and run with them and lead them well. So for me, it's about systems leadership again. It's something I knew I was going to need and it is something that I'm just constantly striving to work for each and every day. And it's about not me controlling everything, but it's about me understanding what's happening across the school in all those different areas and initiatives and being able to have regular conversations and touch bases with executive members so that I'm across everything and that I can coach or mentor them to help lead that with consistency like that's fascinating to me because what i've heard from that description is actually two vastly different contexts and two vastly different skill sets but what we know from the flourish research is despite of that what you've just described is so different when we cast the research net over the amount of time spent in administration the amount of time focused on leadership for example it's the same, as Adam said before. So why, why do you think that is? So the reason I'm asking that question is what we're seeing is and hearing is that all of the data sets, as Adam said, you can throw a napkin over them. You know, the, the stresses, the stress levels are the same. The amount of time in different areas is very much the same. The sense of overload is very much the same. The immense amount of workflow that everybody's trying to manage is the same right across all those different areas. But irrespective of the size of your school, all of those things are the same. So um, even when you go up to the next level as a director, the stresses are the same levels, just different. Absolutely. So what would you say about that? I think it's about where your energy is being placed. 
when I was talking to you, I was talking about basically working side by side with my staff to get that lots of hands involved. I need to be shoulder to shoulder with my staff um, so that those same roles and responsibilities um, can be met within our school. What Ben was talking about was about also then that ability um, to to set that direction and have teams go off and do that. And you're right when you were talking about the different skill sets. What I'm needing to access and draw in leadership to lead my school because of the number of hands that I have and the skill set that Ben draws upon to be able to achieve the same thing because he's got a lot more and, and how he goes about doing that is where those things are different but they require the same amount of energy. And I think that's what you're saying. So when we look at the impact, that's where it's the same. So different skill sets, same amount of energy and effort that's got to go into the application of the context of the school. I think bottom line, at the end of the pipe, whatever way you look at it, you've got a classroom of students with a teacher in front of them. Now, whether you've got 35 or 10 or more than that or less than that, you really just have to get that consistent implementation, that consistent approach across the school. You might have more staff to enable that, you might have less staff to enable that, but the more staff you have, the more the role might change. The less staff you have, the more closely the principal might be working in in the classroom, for example. And the systems might be different, but the systems still need to exist for that to happen. And Ben, in your side school with deputies, for example, you've got another layer there to, but you still have to have those systems in place. And your investment in, in terms of time is at that level rather than the investment at time there more closely to where the rubber hits the road for everything that goes on. Ben Donna. used that really critical word, fidelity. And so the way, if you like, that's like um, the end goal. And so the way in which Ben would travel to get to that and the way in which I would travel to get to that just looks slightly different. But it's we're the both same destination. That's exactly right. And I think, again, that was what Ben was describing there. So we, we have those same goals, but the skill sets, the leadership that we use to get there um, is where it alters, but the energy and the effort behind it is the same, and that's what you're referencing. Yeah. yeah, because also what's fascinating is if you look at the research we've done across different states, which have different systems and process and focuses, even that data's so similar down to number of interruptions, down to hours work. There's so many aspects of the job that are so similar and it's just fascinating to try and understand why that is. Do any of you have any other thoughts on even different systems across states? Well, why are school leaders all having the same experience from a well-being, a stress, uh, where they're spending their time perspective? I've got the word responsibility coming to mind at the moment. When you speak to, to principals and you, you talk about why we take on these, this role in the first place, there comes a, a passion for education and with that comes a level of responsibility. It makes me think that it's with that level of responsibility that it's for with whatever it takes for us to get that goal achieved is what we're then going to be putting in that time, the effort to be able to ensure that that goal is achieved. Is it also just down to... Job across different systems or context is the same in terms of the outcome you're trying to get. Is this driven by a series of predominant paradigms or predominant mindsets of the job? Like you have to be constantly contactable. You've got to be on 24-7. You've got to you know, be everything to everyone. Do you think it's, it's almost an attitude that is contagious 
and sweeps through the role regardless of whether you're rural or metro, regardless whether you're in Tasmania or in greater Sydney. Is that part of the reason why the data is so the same? Yeah, it's a really tough one. It's hard to speculate on why that's the case. From my experience, well, the principles that I are in my circle, we, we all have very similar profiles and, and teachers too. We are by nature people who go into this profession because we want to help. Yeah, I was just reflecting on the vocational nature and the shared purpose and commitment that everybody has to just maxing out on whatever your capability is to fulfil that role. Yeah, and I think, look, the role of the principal is the same, again, across states. I mean, you could draw so many parallels, whatever the role statement looks like. But you only have so many hours in a day. You have it, only have so many resources at your disposal and I think human nature and the profile of principals and teachers is that we want to help people. And so how many hours in the day can I serve my community and my staff because I don't feel like I'm doing my job well enough if I decide that I'm going to take a couple of those hours off? Yeah, I've heard the job described as like a weed and you can like a weed in the garden and you can let it take over if you let it. And I'm hearing from you that that's the case irrespective of your context. Without any real strong boundary strength irrespective of your context, that commitment, if you let it, will take over your life and send you out of balance. Absolutely, it can. And I think that's where we need to be able to understand it's that the old analogy of the oxygen mask. If we don't look after ourselves first, how can we look after our teams, our community, our students? Um, we just can't possibly do it. So I think really it comes down to strong understanding of the role and what we want to achieve and having that clarity of why we're there and what we want to do for our community. But it's also about setting up those systems so that we can actually extend trust and enable others to execute and implement the initiatives that our community needs to, to be where they're at. And, and Ben, I think how well connected, I look at um, principals make really great connections with others and I look at within our group of principals and how well connected we are, we really do focus on principal wellbeing. We're there to support each other, you know, giving each other permission, giving each other space and time, um, encouraging each other to really focus on our own wellbeing because what we also know is that when we are whole, and when we are well looked after, we have so much more to give our communities and to be able to serve our communities. I think something else um, that needs to come from that is it's with that high level of being able to look after yourself, having you know really strong wellbeing practices in place, they are visible to our staff and to our community. And again, we spoke about um, contagion, um, Adam, and I think that those practices are contagious as well. Um, they're the conversations I know that I have with my staff when we have wellbeing calls daily. Um, it is about looking at um, how we look after ourselves, but then how that is then modelled and duplicated to our staff and then our students. Yeah, and this is something we've obsessed over. And with Deakin University, we've really tried to understand why has the Flourish movement been successful? And I think you just articulated it then, where we create a community of school leaders who start to give each other permission to take care of themselves, support, empathy, understanding the whole piece. And it starts to shift that paradigm away from, I'm only a good principal if I flog myself within an inch of my life and you know, really live on that edge and, and that permission to pull back and start to take care of yourselves. 
that I suppose brings us to your, the main reason you're here, which is to talk about the superpowers that you two have been identified as having that, irrespective of your context, are really valuable as educational leaders and as, as principals. So can you give us some insight into your superpowers? Yeah, sure. mine's about contagion. So my, my superpower is um, compassion and positivity. And the way that I execute that needs to be contagious. So from the way that I turn up to school, whether it's about um, the energy that I bring into that office block, whether it's about how I walk through that gate. So we, we often talk about how we turn up. Um, so how I turn up as a principal, I want that to be contagious. I want the passion and compassion to be um, evident in my teachers when they stand in front of students um, and the way in which their love of learning um, is contagious to students and really about positivity because I think we're living in a world where it's very easy to be um, drawn in to the negativity that is around us and we really need people um, to see the positivity in the day that they have ahead of them, in the work that they do, um, in how they value themselves. And I think that um, often we can be a little bit external to that and we want others to value what we do. We need to value ourselves and what we do first. And I think it's that level of positivity. How is my energy, how is, you know, how I lead this school going to be contagious in a way that's going to have, and I guess been using yours, that ripple effect really um, across my school community. Donna, one of the things I say in my keynote sometimes is that there's two types of people in life. The type of person lights up a room when they walk in and the type of person lights up a room when they walk out. <laughs> I can safely say that you're the former in terms of, you know, we've met uh, at different events and I always walk away feeling good when I interact with you. What I'm trying to say here is your positivity and compassion piece is that I feel more positive when I'm around you and also I just feel like you care and you're interested. So you are very much these things. How do you actually do this? Or how, if someone's listening to this, how do they practice more positivity and compassion? Um, I've got a key word and, and it's alignment. For, for me, it's about making sure that everything that I do and everything that I say is aligned to that. So that whether it's um, staff, whether it's community, whether it's students, can really see the things that I'm doing and the things that I'm saying reflect that. And I don't know if you um, want to question me a little bit more about that, Adam, because whether it's, as I said, how I walk into the school, is it positive? Is it reflecting the compassion and the passion for education? Um, and, and making sure that whether it's the language and the way in which I speak to everybody that walks past me, whether it's how I set up those systems and practices within the school, whether it's how I build capacity, whether it's how I take the time with, with a student who, you know, might have come with a problem that doesn't seem like it's, you know, might be that big to anybody else, but how do I spend the time that it's um, just as important um, as, as potentially an even bigger problem, you know. So everything we do and everything we say should be in alignment um, to that. And I think it comes back to also having a really strong um, moral purpose um, and being very clear about, you know, why you do what you do um, and why we, and for me, as, as a leader, why I do what I do and why those things are so important to, to the work of my community. Right, so in terms of the how piece what you've said there is that it's really about self-awareness and, and almost constant reflection of your 
constantly asking yourself, how am I showing up to this student, to this meeting, when I walk through the door? And, and it's putting it through that lens of, well, am I being positive? Am I being compassionate? I mean, to get to the how piece or the teaching piece, how do we teach people to do this? Is it that constant reflection? Absolutely. And it's um, listen first. And that means to yourself as well. So when those things happen, it's actually about, you know, listening, yes, before responding, but also listening to how you then are responding in that moment, looking at whether, you know, that response or how you've been in that moment, and you're right, reflection is is the word, but I call it listening to self. Um, And it could be around um, what's happening for you in your thinking, in your action, um, and it could also even be the way in which you're responding to somebody else and, and why you've maybe responded in that way. So you're right, it's, it's a lot about my own self-reflection, but then also the impact that that has. How does that person walk away from that conversation? How, does that, how, do, how do my staff feel when they leave um, that staff meeting or that professional learning session? I, I bloody love that line. What was it? Listen to others as, and listen to yourself. Is, is that what you said? Absolutely. So yeah. it's like looking in upon yourself and, to look down at what it's that's It's that, yeah, reflection. And another lens you could put over it or word is that self-awareness. And you look at any good piece of research on leadership, what they talk about is self-awareness is critical. If in that self-reflection you're not in those states, how do you start to shift yourself towards them? And I want to sort of reflect on, so if I'm moving from um, a staff meeting and I'm needing to go into what could be a, a quite intense um, parent support meeting, okay, it's taking that one or two minutes before I move from the staff meeting into the parent meeting to almost do a little bit of a reset, okay, um, so that I am turning up in that moment in my best self for that parent because they deserve to have that. When I'm moving from that parent meeting to go in and maybe teach alongside a teacher, how am I taking those couple of minutes to do a reset from what could have been quite an intense um, emotionally charged meeting, okay, or or the way in which I've supported that family, which can be quite deeply impacting um, on what that family might be going through, how I take that reset to then turning up quite positive about learning and education before I get to that classroom. So it's little micro moments that you can give yourself to have that reset because we are moving so quickly through the day from one piece to another. That's incredible that you've just said that. That relates to to a third space piece, that reflect and reset and then thinking about how you want to show up. And you've got really clear how you want to show up to every event, which is fantastic. But the other thing that I just reflected on it hearing you speak, Dan, is people often think about the third space in the big pieces. Like when Adam delivers it, he talks about between home and work. I've found the same thing that you just described with is that it's just as important or more important in those micro moments between how do you go from that really intense phone conversation where you're really deeply emotionally impacted by it yourself and then you look up and there's a child at the door ready to show you their work and get a sticker for the principal. How do you want to show up to that event? That's just fantastic. What we know is it takes immense energy to be consistently positive and compassionate. And so you're always pouring from the cup and always draining the battery to do that. So how do you recover and recharge yourself? 
To um, ensure you've consistently got that for every interaction. Absolutely. Look, my drive to school and my drive home um, averages between 50 minutes and an hour and a half, okay, because of this awesome situation we have in um, with our Sydney traffic at the moment. And so <laughs> I'm really positive about that because I use it to my advantage to really connect with um, my principal colleagues. It's in those times and those conversations, it's not realistic to say I'm going to be positive all of the time. It's what I choose when I turn up within that leadership role because I have that really strong moral purpose. But it's in those conversations on the drives, on the way into school and on the way home where I do get to talk about those things that keep me up at night or those frustrations or or whether I'm reflecting and I'm wanting to refining and doing things um, better than I, I have. It's, it's through those conversations that you get balance because everything is about a balance. It's a bit like saying, you know, you need to be happy all of the time. No, we don't. Happiness is, is a product of also understanding what sadness looks like and then there's a gratitude around that whole spectrum of emotions and I feel like the positivity part and that positivity piece is still about being grateful for, their, for all of those emotions but, again, the alignment of why is that important um, for my moral purpose. Yeah, I'm also hearing there the importance of a really strong professional network that you can be open and authentic and vulnerable with and, and have some psychological safety with. Coming right back to if our cups are full and we're looking after ourselves, we have so much more as educators to give back to our students and our community because ultimately we're there to serve. Another thing you said earlier when we were talking before the podcast was about this sense of how you do strike that balance. So can you tell us about that? Because it was just pure gold and I'd love the audience to hear it. Okay, so I was talking about how um, I give as much to myself as I give to others. Um, and so how I set my day up around that. And, and the way in which I do that is it starts right from the morning. So um, again, having those routines set up at home, fitting in um, time for my fitness, I drive my husband absolutely crazy because, um, you know, I insist on my hot lemon water in the morning um, and act, my feet actually don't hit the ground until I have my hot lemon water in hand um, and, and the poor man, he does it for me every single morning to oh, ensure that allergic. I have that, I know. But it is, it's about all those little tiny things that you do that you know that sets up your day well. But it's also then about giving back to yourself at the end of the day. So on that drive home, doing those things that I do um, to whether it's to debrief so that when I walk in that door, um, I do have, I can be that best mum that I want to be as well and I can actually have something left um, in the tank to also be a great wife. This is what I see consistently is that mentality of school leaders is if I do this stuff, I'm selfish or I'm not a good leader, which is obviously a BS story they tell themselves. How do you get over that guilt or how do you manage that guilt the reason you're so vivacious as you are is clearly you look after yourself and you keep filling your cup and that's why you're a great leader and a great person and a great member of the community how do you manage that guilt that often comes up for people I've kind of um sat in that idea of it being guilt and I'm I'm quite comfortable with it I'm comfortable with the sense of guilt and I've kind of turned it into, um, you know, from going from guilt, I mean, I was having this conversation um, with Ben around um, taking it from being guilt to being a responsibility. So again, it's a mindset. So I take it from, guilt seems to be a little bit of a negative connotation and like we shouldn't be guilty, but it's, for me, I'm okay with that because I see it as a sense of responsibility. 
That's so, such a great way to look at it. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. almost like a complete mindset shift around. I have this amazing responsibility, so I've got to ensure that I can keep delivering on this responsibility. And, and I know it's only a subtle down. thing, but it's huge yeah, because it, yeah. it, it changes then the way in which you approach something. So you then go from um, almost guilt. You sort of can tie it with resentment. Whereas if I take responsibility, I'm, I feel empowered. empowered. That's so powerful. I hope that everyone really listens to that. And, the, and also it highlights the subtlety and the power of language in framing your mindset and, yeah. and your behaviours and driving the behaviours. Yeah. yeah, and I'm like five seconds away from the Wayne's world. We're not worthy. <laughs> like I just I want to <laughs> do a little bow because I think that was just so insightful. Um, ben. Now, we've neglected you there for a little bit. So let's talk about your superpower and what you use to really manage, you know, a a very complex, large school. You know, you talk about these ripples you want to send. What is your superpower? My superpower is going to be hanging out with Donna a little bit more. (laughs) No, uh, uh, honestly, um, look, you talk about this notion of guilt um, and that is something that teachers, people in education feel often because we could be working 24-7 and we still probably wouldn't feel satisfied with the work that we're doing. So for me, it's about, I guess my superpower is, again, learning to be comfortable with the fact that what I'm doing is enough. The other thing is it's about calmness, consistency and compassion for me. It's like three C's because leading a large school community, uh, a lot of people are looking up to the leader of the school and if I'm not at my best on any given day, I can send ripples across the school but not the type that I really want to be sending. So for me, it's about consistency, calmness and compassion and the way I do that is I look at where we're going. I look at what are the priorities for our school, what is it that our community needs or wants and having a really clear idea across the school about what that is and once we know what that is we can then prioritize so it's about having that clear view and then knowing exactly what steps need to be taken to make that work or to come to life so if I can get those two things right then I guess my focus is there the second part to it is looking at my circle of influence so if I've got my focus and I know where we're going it's really about then not focusing on the guilt, not focusing on the inadequacies, not focusing on the conversation in the car park or the hallway. It's, it's really about focusing on, all right, I know where we want to go. What are the actions that I can take? How can I actually influence one step closer towards that goal? So for me, it's about clarity of where we're going um, and then it's about acting on what I can act on and what I can influence. If I don't do that, I'm the opposite. So if I don't know what my priorities are, if I don't have my focus, then I'm like a rudderless ship and then things can start to go wrong or we don't sort of meet the targets that we need to meet. Then I can start working outside my circle of influence because when things start to go wrong, I can start having negative conversations, I can get frustrated, I can get overwhelmed. So for me, those two things are really key. And that piece about where we're headed, I suppose for a large school is so incredibly important because as you said you don't get around to everyone it's physically impossible but also the capacity to communicate that and get people to understand it what do you do in that area so it depends on what we're discussing if i use the example of reading 
we've got a new syllabus coming. So um, if it's about reading, it's about going to the research, the evidence base. Um, it's looking at the syllabus and it's determining what is it that we need to teach our students and what's the best way to do that. And then it's about engaging educational partners um, or expertise within the school to actually impart that message and, or build it together or build on the research for our context to see what we need to do to make it work. How far are we along that journey or what are we doing in that space and what's our next logical step? And it's about communicating that whole school level but also then through the executive um, and our professional learning communities that I spoke about earlier so that we've got these little safety nets along the way so that these groups of people that are leading and scaling the work up have clarity about what it is. Which comes back to that system leadership piece, mm. doesn't it? Mm, absolutely. I think it's crucial. The other thing I was going to say, Donna talked about turning up to meetings and things, and I think that's where the compassion part for me sits as a strength or a superpower. It's because at any given day in a community with 800 students, 95 staff, over 1,000 parents, any given moment, any given day, someone can turn up to the office and, and be wanting to talk about something, um, a challenge that they're facing in their life. So for me, it's really about being present in that space. It's about me trying to understand what this person's trying to tell me and looking again to my circle of influence. Once I've got clarity on what it is they need, or is there something I can do to help? And it's that consistent approach in every time someone turns up how do I achieve that consistent approach I actually strangely see that as looking after myself too because if I can be my best self I go home each day I feel satisfied and fulfilled about my job yeah that's fantastic can I just ask a follow-up question to that around consistency mm. because you, you're focused there on your own internal consistency but in a school your size for the matters that you're talking about with people showing up obviously they're not always going to get to your door or, pick, or when they call pick you up get you on the phone so how do you get that consistency to flow throughout the school yeah that's a really good question again circle of influence I can't control the way another person responds but I can I guess provide opportunities for them to learn how they could respond to certain things so um, we've done a lot of professional learning around social emotional learning at our school every single staff member has received training in social emotional learning including our general assistant and all our office staff, our SLSOs, everybody in the schools received the same learning. I guess that's when I come back to that clarity, that focus. We, we all understand what type of air we want to breathe as a culture. I love that. Yeah, the other part to this, though, is professional learning in itself, if you do one or two days of it, might not necessarily ensure that it's sustained. So what we do is we, we actually have every meeting, we have a social-emotional learning item on the agenda. And at the moment, I'm working with the executive team. We're actually working our way through a book, which is an amazing book. It's got a lot of reflective questions and things. And it's all about self-awareness, motivation, all those sorts of things. So every week, we actually, for 10 minutes, it's the first thing on our agenda. Or it's the second. We do thank yous, and then we go into that. And that's what we do every single week. And that is an expectation across the whole school that we are all doing that. The other thing that I do, and this is all that systems leadership again, the other thing I do is I, I have a fortnightly touch base with every member of my executive team and that's our opportunity where I can receive some feedback from them, I can give some feedback, we can um, discuss any challenges, any wins 
that, that are going on for them at that particular time. And again, it's about modelling. If that's the way I want people to be, I've got to lead by example. I'm definitely hearing modelling, but I'm also hearing really clear structures that are intentionally set up and intentionally designed and to make that happen. And again, irrespective of your school size, you, you've, you've described that there's another layer that that goes to because of the structures that mm. you've set up. So that's fantastic. And, and you mentioned something to Donna earlier about language, choice of language. Well, because we have learnt this social emotional learning, these strategies and, uh, and we under, have the same understanding, we've also got a shared language for it. We can talk to any person in the school. If I say circle of influence, everyone knows what I'm talking about. I don't have to sit and unpack it and explain what it means. So we've just got this beautiful language that we all understand and we can all use. And we know that when we use it, we're using it with respect. We're not using it to criticise we're extending trust to people that we're going to be our best self and if we're not, we can talk to each other. Yeah, the consistency piece is really interesting and, God, we could unpack that for so long. And I just want to get your, your thoughts on these two things. The first one is just, as a leader, are we giving people a consistent experience? I once did a, a workshop with a group and someone came up with an idea and their leader was Chris. And I said, if we took that idea to Chris... How do you think he'd respond? And they said, well, it depends on which Chris shows up at work. And they had different colours for his personality. So red Chris was get out of his way, he's pissed off, someone's going to cop it. Yellow Chris was the world's a happy place and everything's wonderful. So what they said is a lucky dip, you never know what you're going to get. And do you think you showing up as that calm, focused leader... You, you talked about ripples before. What sort of ripple does that send throughout the school? I've had conversations with some people. I've received feedback about it. I think firstly, the first ripple that it sends is that we're, we're okay, that the ship is steady and that I can go and speak to Ben if I need to. I think that's the immediate ripple. But I think over time it serves as a model and some people again it's circle of influence i can't control another person's mind uh, that would be an awesome superpower but um, <laughs> i want that one but over time people can see the relationships that form when you behave in that way they notice that there's a certain level of respect and trust if they don't have that or they're not sure about that they can actually look to examples to emulate that and build that for themselves i think but that's that's a a long-term piece it's not something that you just see and you do the immediate impact or the immediate ripple is a sense of calm okay I think we're going to be okay and the best example I can give is through COVID when COVID came along and we went into lockdown that term three where before we went into lockdown the term prior we knew that it might be happening so we had a whole school meeting and I just outlined that we had a plan all the steps that we that we had ready to go to reassure everyone that if in the event we go into lockdown after the holidays, here's the plan, guys. We're, we're going to be okay. And I think it was just delivering it in a calm way, saying that this is what it's going to look like, having that focus and just knowing that we got this covered and if we work in our circle of influence, it will come together. When you think of school principals, when you think of schools, calmness is not the first word that comes up in your mind. They're, they're chaotic environments and they're often highly emotional and the complete opposite of calm. How do you stay calm? Like what strategies do you do 
Because, you know, I'm getting a real Dalai Lama vibe <laughs> off you right now. But we've had a couple of conversations over the years. And whenever I walk away from conversations with you, I do feel like, yeah, it's going to be okay. Like, is this a pharmaceutical <laughs> thing you do? Or like, what's entirely, going on here, entirely. Ben? I think part of it is possibly just part of the way I am. I think part of it is innate. But the other part of it is it's that self-care. I'm no good to me or anyone else if I'm frazzled. I've just come to realise that this is the best version of me and if I can keep this version of me going as long as I can. Don't get me wrong, I have my moments, just ask my wife and kids. Um, <laughs> but if I can keep this best version of myself going as long as I can, then I go home each day feeling fulfilled like I've done what I can I've been the best I can for people and it's sort of self-soothing. It's kind of affects, it affects me in a positive way as well. Look, I'm always doing certain things. I've bought an e-bike, for example. I like being outside. I like the green space. I like the fresh air and the blue skies when they're around. I bought an e-bike. I ride to work a couple of times a week. I haven't done it for a little while, but that was something to look after me. There's a lot of science around breathing, exercise, endorphins, and etc. that make you feel really good. So that was just something that I used to do to make me feel good and that helped me turn up better. Other things recently, golf. I'm loving golf. Again, it's outside, it's green. But whatever it's it is... It's a great is, way to ruin a walk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is so true. But it's just, look, it's, it's finding those things that excite you or energise you. And riding a bike and golf for someone else could be a total disaster and be the worst possible thing they could do. But... For me, that's what works. And it's it's really just finding those things that give you energy, re-energize you, charge your batteries, prioritizing. You've got to schedule them. You have to put them in. If you don't schedule them, they never get done. That's gold. I just want to touch, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but your, your first response was that it's innate. And then you thought for a moment longer. And as you've described it, again, same thing. It's actual practical strategies intentionally designed around yourself these things aren't happening by chance there's a self-awareness component to it but also intentional design around what you know works so that you can show up every day mm. yeah yeah i think upon reflection you're right all right if we start to bring this thing to a close bob let's um unpack some of the key themes we've heard and also, some of the specific things we've learnt from each person. So, guys, while you sit there, we're going to kind of debrief and, and give you a scorecard on what we've, uh, what we've learnt so far. So, what would you say some of the common themes across both Donna and Ben have been? Well, for me, what we started with was a description of two vastly different contexts. But then we went back to the fact that despite the vastly different contexts, studied all over Australia, not just between schools of different sizes, that the data and the research is the same in terms of the impact or not, well, actually how principals are operating and school leaders are operating, but also the impact on their health and well-being. And then once we delved a little bit deeper, what we found was there was actually some really consistent strategies that work irrespective of your context in order for you to flourish in the role. And particularly just a couple of things I wrote down that really stuck it, stood out to me was the parallel between both of you about how you show up really matters in your context as a leader and that you intentionally try to show up in a way that has a positive ripple 
as you described Ben, throughout the school and that you're no good to anyone if you're frazzled or if your battery's low and if you've got nothing to give. Both of you have talked about that at length and that importance of self-awareness and self-reflection in, in creating that and maintaining that energy and also for both of you, very, very deliberate, very different things that you do to recharge but also very, very deliberate and by design. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously we get the self-care message which came through strongly on both of them. One thing I've really observed here is they're both different type of leaders, like very different, but very effective. You don't have to be one, one type of leader. You know, what they're being is very authentic to who they are and what's important to them. And also just a thing that came up across both of them was that how behaviour and emotion is so contagious. And one of the things you can do to change your culture or the the behaviour in the school is to set that example and model it. What were some of the things um, you picked up individually? Really, for Donna, just around that power of positivity uh, in the school. And I think that's just so, so important. And But also, again, what you do to maintain your own positivity well, was really struck by that. And with Ben, that a sense of calmness that you bring to the role and the importance of that and how that's been so, so vital uh, in the really most challenging times that you have to find that sense of calmness because if you don't uh, it really does have that as you say that that ripple that is not the one that you want the consistent practices that you have to maintain that calmness would resonate throughout your school i think i'm going to start changing their names from now on she's going to be known as diamond donna because she sparkles (laughs) and lights up the room when she comes into it yeah that idea of positivity and compassion dalai ben (laughs) Well, I'm getting to Ben. I've got a different name for him. So the positivity and compassion is so important to Donna. God, that idea of those micro moments to check in and go, am I aligned to this? Like, how am I showing up to this? The beautiful line of I give to me as much as I give to others and that reframe of rather than I should feel guilt about recovery and self-care, I have a responsibility because I'm so important to so many people. So that was brilliant. Now, Ben is going to be named uh, Ben McDonald. Of course, McDonald's, their whole success comes on consistency. No matter where you are in the world, you walk in there and also they have very clean toilets. So if you're traveling internationally, that's where you head. Yeah, so his whole piece about being consistent and holding the line and holding people accountable, the circle of influence, focus on where I'm going, the calmness piece. And once again, that how I stay calm is by that self-care and doing things for me. I just really love those two words. Calmness and consistency is just like you could walk away as a leader and go, if I just did those two things, you'd be crushing it compared to the average leader. Mm. So I think there's some of the really important lessons and, and pieces that we've learned today. But God, I've got to tell you, they've been class act wouldn't you say? Yeah, 100%. And thank you both so much for your incredible insights and time and wisdom uh, from both of your perspective roles. And just incredible leaders in your own context. And uh, you know, our system's just so lucky to have people like you, not, not only in your own leadership, but the leaders that you're building and the capability that you're building in leadership in schools, you know, right throughout New South Wales and probably even beyond because, Ben, you know, that ripple, you never know where that ripple stops. That's right. Thanks for having us. And um, can I also just finish by saying I want to sort of come back to the grass is greener. And I think that um, what's really important here is no matter 
what patch of grass that you're currently standing on in your schools, take the time to water it, um, let it flourish, let it grow, because really it's it's the grass, the patch that you're standing on that you have impact on. So I just, Diamond, oh, I just got chills. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's gold. It had to be said. <laughs> We hope you enjoyed this double guest episode with Ben and Donna. They are both such exceptional leaders and we thank them today for sharing their experience in leading within their school size, as well as their superpowers. Thanks Ben and Donna.